Well, good morning. Hey, I'm really glad you're here. And I, you know, I was, I'm grateful that I get to be your pastor. Uh, our staff talks all the time about just how grateful we are to be here. And I, we love serving the Lord alongside of you. Thank you, Brandon, very much. You know, um, on Sunday mornings, we, we've been kind of, last, this is our fourth week, looking into this doctrine of humanity. Now, when, when the word doctrine or theology are mentioned, sometimes people get a little nervous. They start thinking about, man, that sounds rigid, it sounds distant, it sounds, sounds far away. But, but the truth is, uh, every one of us are theologians. Theology is the study of God, right? Um, every one of us have doctrinal practices. That, that's just the, the way you live. Uh, and the, the question is, do we have good theology? Do we have biblical theology? Do we have, do we have biblical doctrine? That's the question. And, 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 you know, we've been really leaning in to, to this idea of, of doctrine. Uh, and, and, you know, as a, as a church, one of the things that we strive to embrace is that whenever we um, discover our beliefs, you know, you know, you come to moments where you, you realize you believe something passionately. Whenever we discover a belief that is contrary to the Bible, we're compelled here to change our belief to line up with the Word of God. Whenever we have a practice in our life that we um, realize, you know what, this is kind of different than what the Bible says, we're compelled to change our practice to line up with the Bible because God's Word to us is authoritative. We, we see it as a revelation of God Himself. God's revealing Himself through His Word. And this is, this is important. Now, now, when Jesus was hanging out on the earth in the flesh, God in the flesh was hanging out, uh, there were uh, this group of leaders, religious leaders, called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they were kind of the religious leaders of the day. And, and, uh, and they would always be around, they, they would argue over theology. They, were, they would argue these doctrinal points about the Old Testament. And in uh, Matthew chapter 23, we're not going to turn there, but, but there was a moment in Matthew 22, excuse me, 22. Um, I misquoted that in the first service. I said 23, but it's actually 22. But in Matthew 22, there's this moment that Jesus has with the Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were both religious leaders, but there, was, there were several differences with those guys. The, the, the Pharisees were a group of guys that believed in a resurrection, they believed that when you died, you actually continued to exist. The Sadducees, they kind of believed that when you're dead, you're just dead. Now, the old joke goes, that's why they were sad, you see? Uh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, I didn't make that up. I just, that's old. Uh, but, uh, but, but, you know, they, they just thought when you're dead, you're dead, right? And uh, so one day in Matthew 22, the Sadducees came up to Jesus and asked him a question about the resurrection. What's funny about that whole moment is they didn't believe in the resurrection. So why were they asking Jesus about the resurrection? They were trying to trap him. But Jesus was God with skin on, you know? So you're not really going to trap him. And I, I love that about Jesus. He, they couldn't trap him. But, uh, but, but, you know, in Matthew 22, Jesus does something in response to their question. He kind of, that's one, it's one of those moments in Matthew 22, 32. He kind of opens the window of heaven and lets us look in. 
And you know there are many moments in Scripture when God does that. He opens the window of heaven and lets us kind of peek in at what heaven's going to be like. Well, this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 15, because this is one of those passages where the window of heaven is opened up. Now, uh, we, we've had to think a little bit, so I'm going to push us to think a little bit more today. If, if you're visiting today, we, let me just kind of try to catch you up. But, but um, when it comes to the biblical revelation of humanity, God has revealed what humanity is like. And, 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 the, and there's a comparison in the New Testament about uh, humanity that we were like Adam, but we've, we're becoming, once you come to Jesus, we're becoming like Christ. So, so there's this comparison that you see that, that just like Adam was born, we, we inherited this sinful nature from Adam. And all humanity inherited this. And, and it's been passed down. And, and we've all, we're all sinners. But then when Jesus saves us, he, does, uh, he, he begins this progressive molding into the image of God. And that's what happens. We grow up in our faith. We, um, and, and, and this is what life on earth is like. We, we as Christians grow up in, in our salvation. Now, now, you know what? Not everybody in this room, probably, or everybody watching online, not, not all of us probably are Christians. Some of you may be here today and you've not yet come to faith in Christ. And, and one of the things I pray today is that the, the Lord opens your eyes to your need of a Savior. Because that's your greatest need. The greatest need of every human being is to be saved. But once we're saved, once you come to Christ as your Savior, God begins this progressive um, molding and shaping into his image. Now, the Imago Dei, the image of God, that's what we've been looking at. And, but, but here's what we understand as a believer. Now, I want us to see this this morning. There's going to be a future moment for every believer in this room, watching online, and on this planet, that one day will be completed. I love it that Steve's back. Love it, man. Love it. Uh, Steve, you're going to give me, give, give me a lot of amens today. I'm pumped about that. But, uh, um, you too, man. But, but you know what? There's a future moment coming that, because the Bible uses this example of Adam that we inherited, then we, we, when we come to Jesus, this picture of Jesus starts developing in our lives. And it's pretty cool. But, but for all of us, this picture is not complete on this side of eternity. But there's going to be a day when God completes it in you and in me. And, and I, I love this. Last week we saw in Colossians 3 that we're being conformed. Today we're going to get a glimpse of what that final picture looks like. 1 Corinthians 15, turn there. And let's start in verse 42. Now we've got a few verses to read, and this is a complex, we've got to think a little bit. So let's stand together, let's kind of zero in on what God's Word says today, and let's, let's read it. Starting in verse 42, and we're going to actually go through verse 54. 58. So we've got a, a, a chunk to read here. And I'll try to preach it in the next hour and a half. Um, I'm just kidding. Verse 42. So it is, so, excuse me, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. 
It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also shall bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. you. May be seated. Now, now let's 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 dig into this a little bit because when when it comes to the the biblical revelation of humanity, we we, we understand that that God um, that the human beings, you and I, are the pinnacle of God's creation. The Bible's clear of this because we look at the sky, we look at the sun and the stars, and those are amazing. But God says that that when He made male and female that he create, we are the only creation that was made in his image. And, and that's what Imago Dei means. That's the image of God. That's what that means, that, that, that we are the pinnacle of God's creation and that, that the fact that man is in the image of God means that we are like him, most like him. We represent God in the world. But here's the problem. Everywhere we look, since the fall, since man sinned, we begin to divide. We begin to uh, show partiality to one another. And, and this is expressed in all kinds of ways. There's, there's gender partiality. You have all through history, males looked at females and said, I'm, I'm more valuable than you. I'm going to dominate you. We see this in culture after culture from the beginning of time. But when you, but Jesus erased that distinction. Um, you see this in race. We, all through history, you look at someone that 
shows partiality or racism because of the color of their skin. And we see this over and over again. And this is repeated throughout history. And this is why things like the Tulsa Race Massacre should never happen. That's a distortion of the image of God. And, and this is why it's important to, to, to recognize that, that there's beauty and there's, there's incredible uniqueness in the creation of humanity. But we don't look at another race and go, we're more valuable than you. Sometimes we do this by country. We look at another country and go, you know what, our country's better than your country. And, and you're, for whatever reason, maybe there's economic reasons. That's another discrimination. We look at another people that discriminate over, over economics or you don't have as much as I do, so you must not be as valuable as me. And these are the problems. Language, that's another divider. We, we look down on somebody that speaks another language and, and, and we, we create enemies. And these are how culture um, exercises this sin, this distortion of God's image. But, but you know, we've been, humanity's been created in the image of God, and we see this. We see this in, in our creativity. Like, think of our, or, you know, our, well, let's, first of all, our intellectual ability. We're intellectuals, right? We, we like to think, and we like to figure things out. That's part of the image of God in us. God is very intellectual. He's the founder of all knowledge, and, and so he, part of the image of God is it's fleshed out in our lives. We're, we're intellectual. We think about things. We, we make moral decisions. We have these, we know what's right or wrong. We have a sense of, of rightness and wrongness, and, and this is just a human trait. And all through history, there's been a moral um, uh, compass that we've had that comes from God. That's part of the image of God in us. We think about the the creativity, like I mentioned, that, that, that we are creative. We write songs and we create buildings and art and, and, and we're moved to, to this creative side of things. And God is very creative and that's part of the image of God in us. There's a spiritual awareness. Like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that fight. I mean, the, the Pharisees would look at the Sadducees and go, are you kidding me? Come on. It's more than life than just living and dying. Come on, guys. Use your head. And all through history, you see people that, that have this spiritual awareness that there's, there's a spiritual reality of life. That's part of the image of God in us. And, and, and as we've been processing this doctrine and this theology, one of the things we've come to understand that, that the image of God in Scripture not only tells us about man, but it also tells us about God. And when, when we begin to understand God, we're moved to imitate him. And, and, I, and I, this is why I want you to realize that, that the greatest need you have is a Savior. And I want you to see the Savior who came for you today. It's one of the things I pray. But when you think about this doctrine, there are four keys to it that we've been processing. And let me just summarize them. The first week, we kind of talked about that man was created in God's image. Then we looked at and unpacked the idea of the fall. Adam, he sinned and, and then passed on that legacy of sin to all of us. Then last week we looked at when salvation comes, the gift of salvation is received, God begins to grow us up. He begins to mold us and shape us into the image of Christ. And today, when you look at 1 Corinthians 15, that point to one day in all of our lives as believers, as followers of Christ, he's going to complete that work in us. It's incredible. So let's look closely at this passage. And if you're following along in points, our notes today, number one is that human identity is fulfilled 
when the image of God is lived out. And, and, and our identity is in Christ. And, and we need to recognize that the, the freedom and the power and the joy that comes when Christ is our identity. You know, sometimes we let our identity be in other things. I could have a tendency to let my identity be in the fact that I'm a pastor. Oh, you're the pastor at First Baptist of Washington. Well, well, that's what I do, but that shouldn't be my identity. Like I'm married to Robin. I, I'm, I'm glad I'm married to Robin. I love that woman deeply. And, uh, but my identity is not being, oh, you're Robin's husband. Or, yeah. Sometimes, some people know me as you're Maggie's dad. This doesn't cost me $5, by the way. Uh, you know, I have a rule. In my, anytime I use my children as an example, I have to give them $5. So, but this doesn't count. Um, maybe it does. Uh, uh, but, okay, it counts. Um, but, but, you know, sometimes I'm, we, we have our identity in the wrong things. And our identity really is in Christ. That's when it's fulfilled. But, but we've understood as we've looked at this doctrine that God's image in man was distorted at the fall. Look at verse 42. 1 Corinthians 15, stay in there. Let's process this. So it was the resurrection of the dead. So, so it is with the resurrection of the dead, excuse me. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. So you see this, this uh, the distortion by the fall. When, when we were inherited this sinful nature, it was perishable. But, but when Christ comes in, look at it, it says it's raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. We, we were born in, in separated from God, rebellious against God, but it's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness because you can't get to heaven on your own. You can't earn your way to eternal life. That's clear in Scripture. It's not about how religious you are. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, and we get this. I mean, I'm about to be 50 in a few days, I think. Um, and, And it's you know, my knee hurts, and I've hurt. I can't play tennis for the next six months because my knee, and, and it's just like stinks. And, 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 you know, we see our natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. Who's looking forward to that? I am. Um, if there's a natural body, there is also, look at that. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Jesus confirms. God's word confirms. Jesus confirmed it in Matthew 22. God's word continues to confirm it here. There is a spiritual body. There's a spiritual reality of life. Salvation, when you're saved, it starts this progressive recovery of the imago Dei. You begin, once you're saved, you begin to grow up in your faith. And salvation changes everything. And this is why I pray you come to know Christ. Like, like for example... Well, I've been in the moment. I've been there when, when somebody has come to know Christ. And if you have the ability to take spiritual glasses and put on spiritual glasses and watch somebody come to faith in Christ, oh my goodness, what we would see. You know what we'd see? We'd see that person walk in and they would stink. If we had spiritual glasses on, they would be just dirty and filthy and grimy and just terrible. And, and, and right before your eyes, the second the Spirit of God comes into them, their sins are washed away. White as snow. Like, like, like all the mistakes you've ever made, the guilt, the, the shame, the, 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 the failures, the mistakes, gone. I love that. 
And I'll tell you, that's what happens. That's what happened to you the moment you were saved. That's what happened to me the moment I was saved. Salvation, at that moment, that's when you went from death to life. That's when you were not born and you became born again. It's a beautiful moment. That's why verse 45, look at this. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, who's the last Adam? It's Christ. He's the last Adam. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. This points to the fact that you need to be born again. You need to be saved. All of us started natural, but the spiritual needs to come. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so are also those who are of heaven. That you don't have to stay in your sin. And here's what happens. Point number two is, is once salvation takes place, the complete restoration of God's image is coming. God begins to put his image in us. He begins to sharpen that image of us in us. And that's coming. Look at verse 49. Just as we have been born the image of the man of dust. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That, that one day in all of us, the man of heaven, Christ will complete his work in us. We are going to bear that image completely. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Look, you can't earn it. You, you, can't, you can't work hard enough to develop to, to earn salvation, to grow into salvation. No, God gives you salvation, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. You need to be saved. It's clear. So, the, you know, when you look at this passage, we started out like Adam. All of us did. We started out separated from God. Then, once we're saved, we start becoming like Christ. And this is what's happening in us as we grow up in our faith, as we learn the word of God, as we push one another, as we challenge one another. But I want you to know this. Do you realize that the moment we see him, the moment you see Jesus, the moment you go, whether, whether Christ returns and takes us to heaven or, or whether you draw your last breath, the moment we see him, God's image will be complete in you. And this is big. This is really big. This is a very important thing to understand. I want you to look at, look, look over, flip over to 1 John 3, 2. Look at this verse. This is super cool. 1 John 3, 2 says this. 1 John's at the end of your Bible, the back of your Bible. It says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Now, I want you to think about this. This is huge. Like you realize that none of us have come face to face with holiness, right? I've said this over and over again as your pastor. None of us have seen holiness with our own eyes. In fact, none of us can. We cannot physically survive the glory of God. Remember Exodus 33? That's when Moses was, was up on the mountain with God, and, and he says, God, I want to see you. God says, Moses, you can't. You can't see me because if you see me, you will die because of my glory. So remember what God did? He hid Mo- Moses in the cleft of the rock. 
and he just barely passed by. And when he did, Moses' face started glowing. He came down. He had to cover his face because he was like, his face was glowing. And the glory of God is massive. Let me tell you something. There's going to be a day that we draw our last breath or Jesus returns, and we are going to stand before God. And we're going to be like, whoa, whoa, oh, my goodness. And it's going to be the glory of God that we will see. And, and it'll be after this mortal body is done. And, and God completes this in us. And I think in that moment for all of us, we're going to go, wow, Lord. Whoa. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Remember what that says? God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And I think we're going to stand before the Lord and go, wow, you died for me. You came to earth. You came here. Thank you, Jesus, is what we'll say. And I'll tell you, this is, there's, we got to get ready for that moment. And here's the, I don't want you to miss this truth that it's on this side of eternity that, that you really prepare for that moment because everyone lost and saved will stand before the Lord. The Bible's clear on this. And what you want to do is know that holiness now. You could know it today. You could be saved today. But look at verse 51. Behold, what this says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Now, not every, now when that says we, know we shall not all sleep, not everybody's going to die. Now, most of us will die and draw our last breath and stand before God. That's what most people will do. But there will be a generation that, that Christ will come back. And they'll be like, dude, that is crazy. It'll be a, a crazy moment in history. But that's going to happen to some generation. But he says, we shall not all sleep. Some of us will sleep, will die, and stand before the Lord. And that's why it's important to come to Christ before that happens. That's critical. The Bible's clear on this. But we shall all be changed, right? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Um, you know, notice this. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Every believer will be conformed in the image of God. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed, it says. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, Look at this. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written. And notice this saying that has been written. Oh, my goodness. Death is swallowed up in victory. You know, I a, I, when I was in college, we, my, my roommates, Brad and I, when we lived together, we, we, I, I bought this fish tank. It was a, it was a, we, had, we bought this Oscar fish. Have you ever seen those Oscars? I mean, this thing got huge because we, we just kept feeding it. Everybody fed the fish. And so, um, but it was a fat old fish. And, and we would get, we'd go to the, the pet store and we'd buy those little guppies. And man, it was so cool. We'd all gather around the fish tank. We'd be like, all right, put the guppies in. And, and man, those guppies would go in there and be like, hey, what's up? And that fish would just go smack and just eat them. 
every one of them, just suck them up. Don't write me any letters about that, okay? Come on. Uh, it was super cool to watch, um, the destruction of the guppies. But they swallowed them. You know what? Look what the Bible says. What's swallowed up in victory? Death. Death is completely swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And it says, the sting of death is sin. That's why you need a Savior. See, death stings when, when you don't know Jesus. Death is hopeless when you don't know Jesus. The power of sin is the law. Jesus revealed that we need a Savior. Look at this. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. How? How do we have victory? It's through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one way to overcome sin. There's only one way to overcome death, and that's through Jesus. Look at verse 58. This is so cool. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Look at this. Hey, what does steadfast mean? It means, hey, you're tough. You're strong. You don't doubt. You're, you're ready. Be steadfast. Immovable. Oh, I love that word. You know, in the middle of the spiritual battle that we are in, in the middle of the challenges that, are, that could come our way, guess what? We are immovable. And I love that kind of strength that God gives us. Look at this. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. It's, it's like Romans 15, 13. We, are, we abound in hope. We abound in the work of the Lord. That you and I get to do the work of the Lord. And, and this is where life really begins as the joy of, of, of serving the Lord. I don't want you to miss the incredible adventure of serving the Lord. It's like the ambassador baseball guys that I got to spend time with last week. I was like, guys, we don't want you to miss the incredible, incredible adventure of following Jesus. I mean, I hear people say to me sometimes, as a, when I was a youth minister, they'd say, man, following Jesus is boring. I'd go, what are you talking about? The following Jesus can be described in a lot of ways, but boring, ain't it? If you are bored as a follower of Christ, you ain't following Jesus. And look, it says, we as followers of Christ are abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Look, no, this is, this is going to work. We're not just spinning our wheels here at First Baptist Owasso. No, no way. We're in the work of the Lord. And you know, four weeks, for four weeks, we've been trying to understand the doctrine of humanity. That we have been created in the image of God. And as I've been wrestling through this, I'm like, Lord, this has got to be more for us than knowledge or just doctrinal understanding. Or we left here, gotten a little smarter. You know, um, we got to do more than that. God's been doing more in us than that. You know, you know how you know you study theology correctly. There's a lot of people that study theology. There's a lot of people that study doctrine. 
There's a lot of churches that do that. What we got to do is do that correctly. And here's how you can tell that you're studying doctrine and theology correctly. If you are, are learning these things about God and it moves you to kind of an arrogance or you're, you're kind of cocky, you kind of look at somebody else and go, how do you not know this? You're an idiot. Or this kind of like, I'm not even patient. I don't even I don't want to talk to you because you don't, you don't know what I know. There's some people that study theology and that's where they land. That's not right. That's called incorrect theology, incorrect doctrine. They may be right on the subject, but they've missed God's intention. When you study theology correctly, you know what it produces in you? This fruit called the fruit of the Spirit. Love. Joy. Look, if, I know some people that have been right theologically, but they've been a jerk. They've not been joyful. Good theology makes you joyful. Love, joy, peace. Patience. Right? We tend to be patient with one another rather than impatient. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You know, sometimes we study theology and we don't, we're not very kind about it. Look on Twitter. Man, I'm, I'm going to see some pastor friends in the next week. Maybe I'll ask them about, well, come on, you're not very kind. Kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, see, this is what, this is what, appropriate theology produces. This is what right theology produces. This is what right application of theology produces. So I've been wrestling. Lord, what, is, what are you producing in us? Are we just getting smarter here at First Baptist Owasso? No. I, I, you know, as I wrestle through this, submission, now, now we got to understand this, we submit to the Lord. We submit to God. Without apology, we submit to what the Word of God says. And, and submission to the Imago Dei, to submission to what God has said about humanity, that shapes our future. This is going to shape our future. And I want us to see how it's going to shape our future. And, and one of the ways it shapes our future is that, is that confidence in eternal life, that has substance. Let me tell you something. Our confidence in eternal life, there's substance to that. You know, this weekend, Saturday, um, two great men in my life uh, went to be with the Lord Saturday. Um, Frank Crawley was a leader at Council Road. Uh, Dusty Warlicks is, is his grandpa here right now in this service. And man, was a, he's a godly man. He was a layman at Council Road. Incredible, encouraged my life. Encouraged me, would come and visit. And just every time I saw him, blessed my life. You know, Frank's in heaven right now. There's, there's substance to that hope about eternal life. 
Tuesday at his funeral, there's going to be substance to that promise. Barry Pierce died. Right before I walked into the first service, his son, Barry Jr., called me. Barry Pierce was one of the most interesting men I've ever known. When he, when he got saved. Before he got saved, he, would, he had an insulation company in Yukon. Very successful man. And uh, he used to go rent a limo, and, uh, and he would put, have two women around his arm, and he'd go to cowboy bars with two women around his arm. And he'd go, his party, his, his, little, his son, Cowboy, who called me, is his nickname, but um, he's Barry Jr. He called me just a few minutes right before I walked in the service. When Barry got saved, it was the... It was, the, it was a huge, tremendous transformation. He, he, Steve, he reminds me of you, man. Because you're just, you're, you're saved and you're grateful for it. You know, and, and, and though sometimes we're like, man, he's really grateful for that. We probably ought to get a little bit more of that, right? I mean, that's, that's probably good for us. Because, uh, but, but Barry gets, gets saved. And uh, he says, man, I, I got this brand new Lincoln Navigator that he had bought. And so he went to the, Detail shop had flames on the side of it, put on the side of it. In a big old statement at the, at the tailgate, these are the only flames I'll ever see. Uh, I had a Bible verse. I can't remember what Bible verse. He had a Harley. He went and did the same thing on his Harley. You know, I, was a little, I, didn't, I wouldn't have done that, but it's all right. It's all right. But, but let me tell you something. He, they, both those guys went to be with the Lord. Let me tell you something. There is substance to eternal life. As a believer, there is substance to that. We don't have to doubt, and we don't have to worry about, is eternal life real? Look at verse 54. Death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but praise be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, none of us want to check out today. But when... We draw our last breath as believers. When Jesus returns as believers, man, that's a win. There is, con- there is substance to eternal life. Uh, here, here's another thing. As we look at this Imago Dei, the humanity in the image of God, you know what else we see? That every person is a valuable creation of God. This is why the, the Tulsa Race Massacre should never happen under our watch, ever. This is why we should be overflowing with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why we are called to this city and to this time, and we are to be leaders where we are. We are to influence our family. We are to influence our our, our neighborhood. We are to influence our city. We are to influence our state. We are to influence our nation, and we are to influence our world. And this is why we need to lean into moments like we did during this series of, of recognizing how we and pray that we overflow with hope. Because we, what are we as a church? Well, Jesus said, we're like a city that's on a hill that cannot be hidden. We are the light to the world. That's who we are. And you know, as I've raised my kids, as I've pushed them in their whole lives, I have told all three of my children without apology. I have looked at them and said, here's my prayer for you. And I've constantly prayed for them that they would be leaders, but not just any kind of leader. My prayer is that they are godly leaders. And without apology, we have pushed our kids to be leaders. And without apology, we will push our church to be in this city and to be a leader, a leader in this city. 
we will do our best to lead the way. And without apology, that's, that's who we are as followers of Christ, right? Because we're to lead the world to Jesus. We're to, we're to share the gospel with the world. We're to set the example. And this is why we lean into conviction. We lean into what the Bible says. We, we align our heart, our mind with the word of God. And I'll tell you, when I think about God's revelation of the image, of his image, we never look at somebody else and say, you're not as valuable as I am. You're, you're not as important. No, every creation of God made in his image has value. And we know this, we embrace this, and we, and we promote this, and we, we influence this. In a world where there's dividing and, and, and partiality, we say, no, Jesus moves us to think differently. You know what else we do in your house? We flesh this out. You know what this does for us? This gives us a call to every tribe and every nation, and we answer that call. You know what I love about what, what God is doing in the heart of believers all over the world? He, he moves us to look at Russia and not think, oh, those are our enemies. We got to attack them. No, we, we as believers go, how do we get in there to tell them about Jesus? We look at, at North Korea and go, man, that's not, how, how do we take the gospel there? We look at Iran and think, how can we pray for them? How can we, how can we spread the, advance the kingdom of God there? See, we're called to every nation. Do you know that I, I, maybe in this room, as I'm talking about this, as I just even mentioned that, maybe in your heart you're like, wait, wait. Something just went off in my heart. I may be called to there. But when we know Jesus, we get on our knees and pray for India and your family there. And we wrestle in prayer for, for those that are hurting around the world. When disasters happen, you know what we do? We run in and help and serve. Do you realize that the next generation of missionaries are sitting in this church right now? You know, the question really is not for any of us. Are we called to go share the gospel with the nations? That's not the question. We should never pray whether or not we should go share the gospel to the nations. Like, Chris, that sounds terrible. You should never pray that we should go. No, we're already called to go. The question is, the thing we ought to pray about is should we stay? Are we supposed to stay? Maybe you're called to the nations. Do you realize that we can help you? That we have a pathway to help you get on a mission field? We can help you. 
We give to that. We have missionaries all over the world right now training them, equipping them. In October, we're, we're going to see this come to Oklahoma in a big way. But, but you know what's, you know what Revelation 5.9 describes? Oh my goodness, Revelation 5.9? You know what that describes? There's going to be a moment in our future where, where Revelation 5.9 says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. They're looking at Jesus going, worthy are you, Jesus, because you're the only one that could, that could open the seals, for, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Oh my goodness, that's going to be some kind of worship service. That's going to be in our future where every tribe and every tongue and every nation is going to be gathered and, and singing praise to the Lord. And let me tell you something. Even though Brandon said at the beginning of the service, did you catch at the beginning of the service? Put your hands together. And we were like, I don't know how to do that. Right? We struggled a little bit today. It's okay. We don't know how to dance. But let me tell you something. Even Baptists in that moment will be like, all right, we're busting a move. Right? What a day that will be. That was an attempt at a wave, right? Best I got. But look, we are called to every tribe, every nation. This is why we need to understand the image of God in humanity. We don't look at somebody and see a lesser value. No, we look at somebody and say, we're called to advance the kingdom in every part of the world. God's called us to abound in the work of the Lord. And we got to do that. We're going to do that. I want you to hear this. This is a, what I'm about to say is really a big moment for us. And I want you to remember it. I want you to remember what I'm about to say. Next year, Our church celebrates 75 years of ministry. And you know, God started this church, and and none of us were here at the beginning. We are standing on the shoulders of others who came before us to serve the Lord here. And I'm very grateful. And you know, I look back at the last 75 years and think, wow, God has done a work. But you know what? As we get to that 75-year mark, we're going to take a second and look back and be grateful. We're going to take a moment and look at what God's doing and go, wow, that's cool. But then we're going to chart a course for the next 75 years. The 75 years from now, when probably none of us will be here. Though there will be a generation that looks back and go, wow, that was an awesome course. You know, because God, hear this, God has given us a mission. 
And it's to go to every tribe, every tongue. And you know what's so cool about living right here? Just a few days ago, I sat with one of our church members. And there was a lady that came to my office, and we were just, she had some questions about God. And we sat down together, and, and we were just talking about the Lord and sharing the gospel. And, and, and you know what this lady, her story is? She was born in Iran. She grew up in England. She married a man that was Polish. And she heard the gospel in Owasso. I love living here because the world comes to the United States of America. And we get to live world missions every day. Now, now look, you may be called to the nations and I want to help you get there. But I'm pumped about, hear me, the mission that God has called us to. Starting right here. Now, we've got some work to do. So we're going to have an invitation. If you need Jesus today, oh, let me tell you something. You need Jesus more than you need the next breath that you take. You need him. And you could come to him. And if you came to him today, he wouldn't turn you away. I pray you don't miss the adventure of knowing Christ as your Savior. But those of you that know Jesus, we've got some work to do. Because we're going to camp tomorrow. Andrew, I want you to come up. This is Andrew Wade. I love this man. This is our youth minister. God's hand is on his life. And it's time to respond. If you're online today, we're about to ask all of you here in the room and online to pray. Now, if you're online, you're going to have to pray a little differently than all of you in the room. But all these need to be gone. In, uh, like after this service is over, they all need to be gone. So if they're not, you have your arm full. We got some work to do. Andrew, tell us about this work. Yeah, um, junior high camp is this week, and we've got a lot of junior hires that are headed to False Creek. And, and church, it's a good time to pray for a junior high student when they're headed to camp. And maybe some of you have had conversations, uh, gospel conversations with someone in your life, and they've been so close. And I want you to know, church, we've got a lot of middle schoolers that are really, really close to giving everything to Jesus. I've had talks with small group leaders. I've had talks with parents and students alike, and we've got many who are headed to camp this week who are so close. And so we're asking, church, we're asking that you be in prayer for them this week. Um, and we have made that available two different ways. Um, one is we've put out a camp prayer guide on the app. And so if you open your app and click the engage button at the bottom, um, that'll allow you to see our, our camp prayer guide. And uh, especially if you're joining us online, that's a great way that you can be in prayer for our students. Also, we have bracelets uh, just like this one with a student's name on it. 
and they're on the first three steps here at the front. And I'm going to ask, church, that you would battle. You would get on your knees this week because the battle's real for these students' souls. And Satan wants them to be very distracted next week. And so I'm, I'm pleading with you, church, please, please get on your knees this week for these students. Let us be a church that battles for them on our knees. And so in just a minute, we're going to invite you to come and grab a bracelet or two and get on your knees and begin praying for these students. And maybe you want to get on your knees right here. Maybe you want to go back to your seat and kneel. But during our invitation this morning, church, I'm asking you to get on your knees for some middle schoolers and that you would commit to do that every day this week as you have that bracelet on. Some of you might have an opportunity of a a coworker saying, hey, what's your bracelet for? And you're able to go, well, this is Jessica, and I'm, I'm on my knees for her every day this week. And so I hope you get some of those opportunities this week as well. And so let's pray together now, and then as we respond, I invite you to come and get on your knees and grab a bracelet. Pray with me. God, we are in anticipation. And we are begging you to do only what you can do. And we're committing as a church that we're going to do our part. That we're not just sending them off to camp and, and we're excited to hear stories and see pictures later. No, we're going to be on our knees daily battling alongside for their souls. So God, I just ask that you to move in this time. And maybe there's some that haven't been on our knees in a while. Would you reignite that in our lives? That we can come to you and we can get on our knees. And so, Father, we anticipate what you're going to do in their lives. God, would you save some this week? Those that are riding the fence, those that are so close, God, would you bring them in? And would we as a church body always battle for the next generation on our knees? We ask all these things in your name. Amen.